You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hey everyone, welcome to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley, and this is part two of our Pride Month conversation. So I'll be honest, I hadn't actually planned on doing this this extra episode, but I was approached by someone with this idea and I knew it was important and it was something that I wanted to do. So today we continue highlighting Pride Month, but our topic is a little bit different than the one we had a couple of weeks ago. In this episode, we are discussing inclusivity and hope that by the time we are done, we will have brought awareness and understanding to this important topic. So like I said, a few weeks ago, I was contacted um, by Captain Matt Visser, and he asked what we had planned for Pride Month, which, as a reminder, is an observance that the Department of Defense recognizes to promote the inclusivity and representation of LGBTQ people. And I'll be honest, I didn't really think much of it, and I told him about the conversation we had with Chaplain Ammons. I'll be the first to admit, though, that I don't always pick up on things very quickly. And so I asked Captain Visser straight up if he had an idea or a lead or something for a good story. And that's when he told me that he knew a few people who would contribute to having an inclusive conversation and could help improve the understanding of the experience of queer people in the military. And so that's where we are today. So let me briefly introduce our guests, and they all come from the 101st Airborne Division. So first is Captain Julie McCabe, who recently relinquished command after two years. She was the first female commander to serve in the historic 2nd Battalion of the 506th Infantry Regiment. Next is Specialist John Simpson, a mass communication specialist in the 40th Public Affairs Detachment. And last is Captain Matt Visser, who commands the 40th Public Affairs Detachment. So hi guys, thanks for joining me today. So before we get started, I want to have each of you introduce yourselves and tell us any identifiers that you would like to use to describe who you are and what you do for the Army. So how about Matt, you go first. Okay. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Matt Visser. I command the 40th Public Affairs Detachment in the 101st Airborne Division. I am from Kansas. I went to high school in Texas, college at the University of Kansas, grad school at Chapel Hill at the University of North Carolina, and I'm a second-year doctoral student at Vanderbilt University. It's exciting to be here. I (laughs) identify as a gay male, and that's one of the reasons that Ashley uh, reached out so that we could facilitate a space to talk about pride and what LGBTQ peoples offer to the military. So thanks for having me, Ashley. Thank you. So let's go to John. Hi, I'm a specialist John Simpson. I'm with the 40th Public Affairs Detachment. I'm from Kentucky, but I was raised in uh, Wisconsin. So I spent a lot of my developmental years there. And I actually jumped around a couple more times after that. But um, I have been in the military for three years and I identify as a gay man and I am serving in the Army. I'm really excited to be here and can't wait to talk about any topics that you have for us today. I'm really excited. I never get to talk to other public affairs people, so this is exciting for me. (laughs) But let's move on to Julie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So hello, I am Captain Julie McCabe. I am not public affairs, but I am a (laughs) proud logistics officer. Um, I've been in the Army for seven years. Um, first started um, under 21st TSC in Germany, and then I spent the last three years um, with 101st with, with the Rakasans. Uh, I recently just finished up a 23-month command um, with a Ford support company under 2506 White Currahee. Um, so I identify 
as a gay woman or lesbian, whatever term you want to use. Um, I've recently uh, got married as well. So um, congratulations. Thanks so much. So um, her name is Liza. Proud to call her my beautiful wife. And um, yeah, I'm just really happy to have this conversation today and to be a part of this. That's awesome. Well, so I love talking to people like that's why I wanted to do this. And so I'm going to go completely off track. And (laughs) Julie, me and my husband were just in Germany and he was with the 21st, but he does public affairs. But that's where we just came from. So I feel like I've connected to all of you a little bit. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I I loved my time in Germany and being under the 21st and the mission that they represent. So um, I'm sure you had before COVID hit a uh, a good time um, overseas. We actually got back before COVID hit, thankfully. So we were able to travel. <laughs> so let's go ahead, Matt. I'm going to start with you since we really we started this whole conversation. Um, why did you think this was so important and why did you want to have this conversation? And what do you hope others take away from it? Wow. So (laughs) one of the things (laughs) I know, big question. So I think that there has been a lot of progress with representation. And from my experience, some of that has been welcomed and some of it hasn't. So initially, I didn't talk about previous assignments, but I was with the 82nd Airborne Division. And one of the things that they did at Fort Bragg while I was there was they hosted the first pride observance at Fort Bragg. And it actually, uh, General now Major General Sharpson, he attended. So there was a general officer presence when he was third uh, expeditionary sustainment commands commanding general, and that showed to me that you know the installation cared. And so, just having uh, one of my old bosses called it like a fl- a flower pot, but just having a senior leader attend an event like that matters, yeah. and it it mattered to me as a young gay lieutenant at Fort Bragg to know that a senior leader was taking their time and they valued the representation of um, service members who happened to be lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And at that time in the military, it was allowed to be transgender, um, which has fluctuated, you know, since then. And now we can have openly serving trans soldiers again, but it's about the progress and so there's been this varied level of involvement i think from organizations and units and part of that stems from um people not feeling comfortable being vulnerable when you need to be vulnerable and you know military organizations were taught and instructed to be stoic and were taught to be cohesive and that is why we have equal opportunity observances and themes that are approved by the Department of Defense and then implemented by the Department of the Army. It's because they see value in ensuring that marginalized communities have a space that appreciates them. And so for me, at, at, you know, at that time, it was really special as a lieutenant to have that space. And since you know, coming to Fort Campbell, that's not something that has been observed. Um, We do observances for every other EO theme, but it's it's one that hasn't been represented. And so I have, you know, felt some of that as an officer here, even though having been promoted, I think being a, a gay officer in the 101st has been a little bit different because we're challenged to 
force some of the conversations and we're challenged to educate about some of the stereotypes and almost try to you know force the conversation to make people understand that there are these microaggressions that occur in conversation um, there are you know brief subtleties that someone may say or they may not be thinking about um, but some of those like really small remarks that you may think are you know minute and if you take it from the third frame someone that's looking in you can kind of see some of that but you know i've been an aggressor in some ways you know with my language and i think julie does a really good job with this in you know in a conversation i had with her last week um and chime in julie but <laughs> she said if she gets a new soldier when they come in she she makes sure to include now her wife liza congratulations julie but that you know she at that time she had a partner and it was a woman um but then when she was talking to to soldiers she would say spouse and she she has a really powerful story i think so i won't you know take the the floor from her there but i think that there's a lot of room for growth and education as we continue to progress and become more inclusive um one of the ways that we can put people first is to understand the diversity of the army you know Absolutely. that that's coming in in all of our units and to be able to embrace uh, that representation is really important so i'm curious why do you think that fort campbell doesn't have a pride celebration do you so i, I guess i'm thinking uh, <laughs> so i well you know there there's a lot of different things that could potentially go into that sure not to like make excuses um but we did cancel you know for the last year we didn't do eo observances in person um due to covid mitigation measures so that that had something to do with it um i think something that has to do with it as well is um you know misunderstanding so it was a authorized theme like a mandated theme um by the department of defense up until i want to say 2017 or 2018 and then it was removed as a mandated um eo observance it was an optional one so they still allowed so on their website um essentially the for those that are non-military the edi so equity diversion and inclusion or just equity diversity and inclusion office for the department of defense they have all these resources that are made available that kind of can help have some talking points and help facilitate some of these crucial conversations like the one we're having today um and so they had that available for lgbt for pride month for june um so it was made available but it wasn't mandated and we're incredibly busy in the military <laughs> so if it's not mandated, right. then it's difficult to find uh, the time in the calendar to frankly facilitate those conversations, to yeah. facilitate the observances with the units. And that's not to say that it's not important. There are a lot of important things that we could do with our time every day, but if we have mandated training, then that's what's gonna get the prioritization. So I think that's part of it. Um, and I honestly, I think, it's a topic that's uncomfortable. I was and that's just one of the gonna reasons say why that. we're here today. Yeah, I was just gonna say that. I feel like people 
or like, should I do something? Should I say something? Am I going to offend somebody if I do? And so I think everybody is walking on eggshells when it comes to that. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that's definitely it, Ashley. So I want to talk more about your experiences. And so I kind of want to start it in 2011 when Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. So were any of you serving during that time? I was not. <laughs> so I'm going to start with you then. So did the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell contribute to you ending up to serve? Um, it definitely influenced it because uh, for years leading up, just like uh, like growing up in schools and stuff, like having friends and stuff, everyone's always like, oh, the military, you know, they aren't necessarily gay friendly. And I was out at the time, so obviously they, you know, were like nervous for me. And then I did my own research and I was like, well, actually, like the Don't Ask, Don't Tell has been repealed for quite some time now, like before I uh, thought about joining the military. And a lot of people still were scared for me because they were like, oh, well, you don't know, that's like ingrained to people. And uh, the like people were still concerned for me and stuff, but I like did the research and I talked to my recruiter and he really informed me and he was like, no, uh, it's definitely okay to be gay. Like that is one thing, like he even <laughs> said that. And I was like, that made me feel a lot more comfortable joining. Sure. Uh, he uh, talked me through like how um, LGBTQ members are represented and how EO has a like course to protect the people that are LGBTQ so that there's nothing really uh, offensive or discriminative going on. And that definitely uh, enticed me to join a little bit more than when before everyone was telling me, oh, well, you shouldn't join because, <laughs> you know, it's not a gay friendly organization. Right. And so, so we're going to talk about stereotypes a little later, but I want to go to Matt and Julie. So you guys were serving in 2011? Yes, I was. So how did the repeal change things for you? If I'm going to be honest, <laughs> like, I don't think it was at the forefront of my mind. Okay. And I know maybe I'm not maybe representing what I should be by having, by feeling that way, maybe necessarily. But, um, you know, I think at the time I had only been, you know, I was a cadet and I was focusing on school and focusing on, you know, learning the army because I did not grow up with family members this way. So the army was very new to me and kind of concepts and everything. So trying to get through school and, you know, having a part-time job, et cetera. Um, sure. I think it was more about, um, how it affected a lot of the peers that I was with. Um, you know, I have a personal experience where my, um, I'm not going to use her real name, so I'm going to use a made up name, but my best friend, um, Ashley, um, she, um, actually, you know, her and her girlfriend didn't come out until, you know, much later. And it surprised all of us because, you know, they had been roommates so long but they couldn't you know come out or feel comfortable to come out so I remember that being a huge revelation that we found out that they had been together for five years and like how I don't know because of the organization where we were in they didn't feel you know accepted to you know be their authentic selves and right. um it just really resonates how how deep this can go um that kind of that feeling for everybody and you know everyone has uh, different experiences um, when it comes to this. Some some are easier, some are harder, some are still, you know, figuring out, even though right. it was repealed. Um, so I think it just, um, yeah, everyone's experience is a little different. So I would have to imagine, or maybe I'm, I'm assuming too much, but 
if you have to keep a secret during Don't Ask, Don't Tell, you're keeping a secret about yourself. I have to imagine that when that was repealed, that was kind of a weight off of your shoulders to be able to, you know, actually not have to worry about keeping the secret about who you are. So I'll let Matt, Matt go ahead. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think that um, maybe I'm in a similar boat as Julie, but to respond to what you just prompted, Ashley, I think that there was this weight to know that we could be authentic, right. right? And to be able to, so much of the military embraces the family unit because of the support system that the family unit provides to the service member while you're deployed. Um, you know, we have the soldier and family readiness groups where we have organization days where we bring in families um, and the people that you love. And up until that point, you weren't able to bring any of those people right. to your events. It was all hidden. Right. So that, you know, there's like a sense of shame, but also that sense of shame and that stigma that had been created from the systemic culture under the don't ask, don't tell era, um, it it perpetuated. So, um, you know, don't ask, don't tell was repealed in the fall of 2011. It was um, essentially the policies were all written up to educate people on how to how to deal with, you know, gays, lesbians, bisexual people in like January of 2012. But just because, you know, the weight was lifted, didn't necessarily equate to everyone feeling welcome to be honest about their spouses. Because for so long, you'd have people like Julie, you'd have, you know, people that that live in fear that there's going to be some repercussion, um, that people are going to have these biases that come in that influence their performance evaluations, influence what schools or training is made accessible to them because a perceived thought that someone may have of you, you know, if you are identified as other. So um, I think that for, you know, it, it was a step in the right direction, but the repeal of don't ask, don't tell was, was just that it it was a step. It's a milestone. And yeah, as we like move forward in our progression, we're, we're still getting there. I agree completely. Um, so let's talk about those stereotypes. So I did a little preparation for today's podcast, and I came across a lot of stereotypes for service members who identify themselves as part of the LGBTQ community. So I want to go out to you all and um, get your thoughts on some of them or sh- tell me what you've heard. John, you go first. Um, uh, a lot of the things that uh, I receive, I mean, I am a bit more uh, like feminine representing, <laughs> like I can, you know, my voice is a little higher pitched at times and I get excited and, you know, <laughs> and uh, I mean, a lot of people will just be like, oh, well, that's typical for like, you know, a gay man to be like that, like to act like that. And then um, uh, sometimes people will get, uh, this idea in their head that since I am like a little bit more on the feminine side that I'm not good at like PT or like doing weapons qualification. And like, uh, it's crazy. Cause like, uh, for a long time in my unit, we had like our top three PT people. And I was one of the top <laughs> three. Cause like, I, I was one of the faster runners. Yeah. I could do a good amount of pushups. And it was just crazy. Cause like people from outside of our unit would be like, oh, well, he must be lacking in that area. And everyone else inside my unit, because 40th Pad is, like, very family-based. Like, everyone inside the unit is very 
comfortable with themselves and very comfortable being around like all different types of people. Uh, I've actually had a couple times where like my comrades in the 40th pilot would be like, no, Simpson like definitely can outrun most of us. Like <laughs> this is something. Uh, and it's just crazy. Like seeing the outside perspective of like different types of units thinking, uh, oh, well, these types of soldiers will only join this MOS. Like uh, being public affairs, one of the things that drew it to me is creativity because I grew up in a very creative household, like constantly making art and stuff. So this really drew me in. And uh, everyone's always like, oh, well, that's immediately, you know, <laughs> that's what gay people do. Like they're just, they're going to want to make art and stuff like that. And uh, it was definitely interesting seeing that because I know a lot of uh, LGBTQ members that are in combat MOSs and they aren't quite comfortable coming out to their comrades because they think that. Uh, they'll be held to a different standard right. and uh, kind of looked down upon. Right. But it definitely has uh, gotten better over just the couple of years that I've been in. Because, I, I mean, I try as much as possible to, like, anytime I'm working with people that are higher up or people that are just, like, people, you know, normal people, I try and, like, I'll let them know. Sometimes if they talk to me, they'll be like, hey, how's your girlfriend? I'll be like, oh, I'm actually a gay male. <laughs> and I'll, like try and get them in conversations that make them more comfortable or more knowledgeable about the like LGBTQ community. That's awesome. So, so let's go to Julie. Do you have a, a myth or a stereotype that you've had to deal with? Um, yeah, I would definitely say yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the first one is, um, well, I should say upfront that I don't feel any personal like prejudice against sure. like myself or who I am or who I want to be which has been really nice um, um, serving where I've been serving. Um, but I do think the first maybe stereotype or myth is that if I'm a woman serving in the army, like there's a high probability I'm gay, right? Because at least in the civilians eyes, at least a lot of civilians that I've interacted with, the military is still seen as a very um, masculine yeah. or, um, you know, man's job. Sure. So I think that's kind of like the first stereotype and maybe that's um, one of the reasons I don't get a lot of like surprise or anything like that because, um, you know, I am I'm very uh, <laughs> a, um, a term would be I'm feminine. So I'm like a feminine, you know, lesbian. Um, and so maybe um, I don't know. I'm, yeah, it's hit or miss, I guess. And then I think on top of that. So, you know then because I'm feminine and I, you know, I'm gay, when others, you know, meet my, meet my wife or see a picture of her, I think that's when they're surprised because I think, you know, when they see that I'm feminine, they're making an assumption based on what they've seen in TV or, you know, movie or culture or anything out on social media that they expect like my wife to be you know, either masculine or butch or, or manly, because that's the only, that would be the only reason why I would be gay is because I would want to be with, you know, if I'm not with a man, then I would want to be with a masculine woman, you know? And so, I, and, and, you know, I, I know that seems like kind of, I'm making a lot of presumptions and I'm sure that is not the majority of the way it feels, but that is how it becomes like projected sometimes when they don't expect my wife to be the way that she is. Yeah. 
Um, so, and so that's those are the first ones that kind of hit me from my experiences. So I have a note here that says, explain lipstick lesbians. Can you explain that? Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, because now I'm intrigued. So, yeah, yeah. So there's there's definitely, you know, the a lot of terms and uh, more specific identifiers that can be used um, in the lesbian community. So um, and I think with how society progresses, I myself am still learning. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, lipstick lesbian is um, just a very, uh, a very feminine woman. So you would e- expect her to be like very dolled up wearing, you know, makeup, wearing high heels, you know, very lipstick, we would say. Okay. And then you and then you would move into um, what me and my girlfriend consider ourselves <laughs> is chapstick. Um, <laughs> I know this is so ridiculous. These are not terms I came up with. Just say. This oh, is that's just, funny. I know. Um, We're obsessed with like organizing things okay. and people. Okay. And so like, I mean, that's society. Yeah. So I think that like, we kind of create all these additional. So are these. Tools. So I'm letting you guys educate me a little bit. And I hope that maybe some of my not knowing things will help our listeners too. But um, I'll ask the dumb questions for them. (laughs) Um, So when you say lipstick lesbian, is that something that the LGBTQ community has come up with? Or is that something that outsiders have come up with? I say outsiders, but you know what I mean. So in my opinion, it's something that the LGBTQ community has created. Okay. So when you're everyone is trying to figure out who they are and we're all in a period of of understanding and trying to understand you know everything so when you're kind of left with this um you know freedom and you know be able to kind of pave your own way and you know come up with instead of us just being men and women anymore you know there's there's new terms and new identifiers that you can use to say hey like this describes me and this makes me feel like the most comfortable because this is, this is what I am. Okay. So let's go on to Matt. Can you talk about a myth or a stereotype? Um, Wait, I have, I have a list. (laughs) Okay. All right. Help, help spark that. So I went blank for a second. Creating a lot of drama in the office. If that's absolutely, that's absolutely true. Every (laughs) gay man does that. just being honest no I'm just kidding so okay so like that that that's a stereotype right um and some people do really love drama and but they're not necessarily creators of drama but so do a lot of females who are straight I mean and men that are straight right right and so I think where it becomes like misunderstood is in the media and like growing up, there's all this like gay best friend. And so like anytime, you know, like in high school or something, maybe Ashley, right? So Ashley's in high school, you're in high school and like you had a rough breakup. Well, the media portrays it as, oh, the gay best friend's gonna be there to help (laughs) you out and support you emotionally and listen to you and go get the Bluebell ice cream. That's not an endorsement for Bluebell. I just personally (laughs) love it. But, you know, but that's where it's like, there are so many movies, there are so many TV shows that kind of perpetuate that particular stereotype where you kind of think that 
oh, well, like the gay soldiers are really interested in everything that's going on. Um, maybe and maybe not. I mean, like we're for, first most focused on doing our job right. and doing it well. And sometimes that requires you to be a little less attentive than you may want to be with some of the people because you, you have a job to do. So um, I don't know. That's that's kind of a tough one because I think it may be skirting the line, but I don't think it's any more. <laughs> I love your honesty. Any woman or, you know, a straight woman or straight man, you know. Agreed. Um, so I'm going to I'm going to read a couple more of these. If they're gay, they must be attracted to everyone in the office. This was an issue that I had in basic training. <laughs> okay. So I was the only out gay in my entire platoon during basic training. And so, like, um, I kind of was to myself because I grew up in a military family and my dad was a drill sergeant. And he was like, best thing to do is just do your best and stay out of the way. You know, don't draw, like, a bunch of attention to you. You don't need to be necessarily the spotlight, but you definitely don't want to be trouble and so since i was to myself everyone kind of thought that i was like uh interested in them like <laughs> oh he's kind of like sliding around the corner oh uh blah, blah 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 but in basic training it was like the total opposite because <laughs> everyone is dingy and grimy and i am i am uh personally to myself like a kind of conservative person like i I don't love public showers, so I would go into, like, the shower and I'd wrap myself in a towel and everyone was like, oh, this is the kind of uh, person that he is. And um, everyone just kind of assumed that I was interested in them because I wasn't really out there trying to, you know, connect and relate to everybody because I was just trying to get through basic training. Sure. Um, and it was just, like, an issue. And then, like, later on, uh, I made a couple of friends near the end and like they talked to me and they're like, hey, uh, I was just wondering because like this is kind of one of the talks that we had in the Bay. Did you like were you interested in like so and so? And I was like, definitely not. That is not. <laughs> and they were like, were you interested in anybody? And I was like, no, I was just trying to get through basic training and then I can get to AIT and get to my unit and start working. So it's definitely something that people tend to think about yeah. whenever you're you uh, present yourself as a gay man, but it's definitely a stereotype <laughs> in uh, my uh, experience because I haven't had any uh, interest towards someone in my unit. All right. So I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And so I think a lot of time in our society as a whole, we really get stuck on things that big picture wise don't really matter. Um, things like who a person chooses to love or be with um why do you think that is and did any of these stigmas ever prevent you from being your authentic self let's go with matt hmm. um okay so i think that it's like a three-part question but Sorry. what i would say to that is like in the larger scheme of things people are going to say that it doesn't matter like oh yeah i don't care who you love like that's that's one someone's catch-all but then they'll say things like, but, you know, my wife and I would never let, you know, a gay babysit our kid. You know, it's just something, you know, because of who, who we are, you know, you know, that's what our church belief is. or You know, and they start explaining all of these things and they don't really understand, like, the weight of what they just said. Right. Which is like babysitting. I'm not going to 
like gay people, there's a stigma of them being child molesters. Right. I did. So like you, you say this, you know, you say a comment like that and you may not think much of it. You may be like with your squad, you know, just like making jokes and cracking jokes, but you may be, you know, a gay person in that circle. They may or may not know that you're gay or, you know, or lesbian, and they may not know how, what they're doing in that conversation is kind of separating you from the cohesive team that is supposed to be achieved within the army. Um, so I think that like big picture people will make these, say these platitudes, but then they'll kind of create these like subcategories on why they don't, you know, treat gay, you know, lesbian, trans, bisexual people the same way they would heterosexual people. Yeah. And that's, you know, part of that is like they're in a different progress and, you know, it's conversations like these that are hopefully helpful to debunk some of those myths and some of those stereotypes. What's the second part of your question? Did any of these stigmas ever prevent you from being your authentic self at work? Mm, okay. So one story that Julie has heard a lot, um, because we, and actually, you know, I told it during one of our foundational days with 48 Pad, so John has heard this as well, but. Um, That's okay. It's important, Matt. Okay. All right. So um, one of my units that I've been in, I put up a um, emblem with the rainbow, like the pride logo. Um, and I would do that for every observance, every EO observance. I would put something up on the unit page just to, I was a company commander at the time and I wanted every soldier in my Ford support company to know that they were appreciated and that what they brought to the fight as an individual was important to how we fought collectively. So I thought it was, you know, beneficial to put that out there. And so I put out, you know, pride flag for pride month at the beginning of June. And my supervisor at the time called me and he may not have thought much of the conversation, but I have replayed that conversation over and over since. And it went to the tune of, you know, as a as a gay Christian, or sorry, as a, you know, as a straight male from Texas, Christian, it's really hard for me. And you have to understand that. And these are kind of some some quotes. And the issue was things that used to unify us. I'm also, you know, a man from Texas <laughs> who's a Christian. Um, so these are things that before it was something that connected us. And now in this conversation, it was divisive. So he was using the same, um, the same like mechanisms that we had used before to bond, to divide us within this conversation. And essentially he couldn't wrap his head around, you know, the rainbow flag. And to his understanding, what he had said was that it's political, that the rainbow flag is political. And it is not. Um, we have representation from all sides of the spectrum for like partisanship of people in the LGBTQ community. You have, you know, people outside of the military that use their voice very vocally on all sides of um, the political debate stage. Um, but for him, that was what he had, had said. And in the conversation, which was one of the 
longest conversations that I had with my supervisor, longer than talking about gunnery qualification, longer than talking about any of the you know logistics, distribution capabilities, or maintenance for our particular unit. This was one of the longest conversations that I had with him, and it was him grappling with whether or not we should have a rainbow flag because he viewed it as political and he did not direct me to take that down but it was a wow moment for me because i could tell he was encouraging me to remove it and i don't think he understood and maybe he has maybe he's reflected on this as well but how isolated i felt how powerless that i felt hanging up that phone knowing that i was not welcome and what i had intended to create an inclusive space for my unit and for the soldiers within my unit had then made me feel powerless in the same way that requires us to create space for these types of observances because i was a company commander that's a big deal for the army you know it was a big deal for me it is a big deal for me and to experience those feelings in that moment um you know, I felt like I was a closeted kid in Texas in high school all over again. Wow. And I think that that's important to incorporate into this conversation because the experience for LGBTQ people within the military is varied and it's different. And like Julie had kind of said, and John had said as well, is we're all trying to still figure out who we are. And there may be people like John said that are maneuver, that feel less comfortable being who they are. Um, I know peers that are also maneuver, um, that are officers that don't feel comfortable sharing that they're gay men. And that's because they still feel like there'd be some form of uh, mistreatment. And so I think it's important to use this form of an anecdote to share my experience um, so that people understand that, you know, this is still a journey for a lot of people. And if it's just some form of education where someone doesn't identify a symbol that's important to the progress of a particular community as political and use that as a mechanism to manipulate someone into doing what they would like for them to do, um, it can create meaningful conversation for growth. So did he know that you were gay when he said this to you? Yes. Yeah. And that's wow. kind of made it a little bit harder too. And I think it was, I think it was a difficult conversation for both of us. Yeah. And, you know, as you deconstruct any form of conflict, I think reflection is powerful. But, you know, there are things that I could have done to make it less difficult of a conversation. I could have talked to him about it before I posted it, which I hadn't done for any other thing that I put up on (laughs) social media on the unit page. But you know, I knew it was probably going to be controversial. I was, you know, I'm in a cav squadron, you know, like yeah. it's a, and also, you know, with Julie and the Rockasons. So it's something that I knew was going to turn some heads and I knew it was going to be visible. And so there are definitely things that I could have done to soften the blow and maybe have the educative conversation before posting it and developing his buy-in. Um, but, you know, there's, Anytime there's conflict, there's also a a lot of perception as you as the person. So how I felt 
is not necessarily how he felt. Sure. And it's important to realize in these conversations where if you're a recipient of any form of aggression, someone else may not know what they said and how it made you feel. And so I think it's important to talk about those things. And I think therapy is powerful. <laughs> um, but by having a space where you can talk through these things, there are things that I would have done differently if I could go back. Um, but yeah, he knew he knew I was gay. So, but I don't think he knew how much weight and how much respect I had for him and how powerful those words were for me when yeah. when he used them. So, so I know as a somebody in public affairs and somebody who's posting on Facebook for a unit and whatnot. I feel like we're always like, so pride month is coming up. Are we going to do something? And like we said before, it's like tiptoeing around, but I was so thankful that here they were like, let's, we're doing something. We're going to, let's do a podcast on it. Let's talk about it. Um, and I don't know that it's like that everywhere. So I was really, really thankful for my leadership here to allow us to be able to do this sort of thing. So, and thank you guys for joining me too, but we're not done yet. <laughs> Just throwing that all in there. Um, so I want to go back to being commanders. Um, both Matt and Julie, you have been commanders, are commanders. Um, have you been able to be open about your relationships as you've been commanders? Um, or do you feel that's something that is still better left unsaid? And have you had any soldiers, if you have been open, who have had an issue with you being you? Um, so yeah, first off, no, I haven't felt, I haven't had anyone have any issues with, um, you know, at the time, you know, my girlfriend, um, and, you know, bringing her to events or talking about her or, you know, any, anything that involved um, her at all. So yeah, no issues on my end, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I already felt, you know, the, the different one because I was the only, um, you know, female commander. Right. So that, that puts a lot of pressure. So then if I had felt, you know, any discrimination, you know, being a woman or even being a gay woman, I think that would have, that would have been a lot harder um, to lead and to kind of do what I needed to do. And then for the second question, uh, no, I, at least not openly to me, um, if soldiers or NCOs or lieutenants in my formation ever had any issues with who I was, it was never brought to my attention. I think, you know, part of that is, I don't think it matters at the end of the day. Like, Agreed um, completely. <laughs> you know, I think it's about how you are as a leader and what you do for your soldiers and how you care for them. And, you know, you focusing on the, the overall picture and making good decisions and them trusting you. So right. I felt like I had that, you know what I mean? I felt like there there was nothing that needed to call in question about what I was doing in my personal life. Um, and so I think, you know, that that was great. And I think it just, you know, the kind of bluff statement from that is, you know, I think leaders need to stay open. You know, they need to stay open minded. I think being closed minded and um, not being able to like openly, you know, understand or empathize or um, kind of come from someone else's perspective, then you aren't you aren't doing your job. Um, yeah. And so I think uh yeah, I know. I've, I've had I've had a great experience, and I love absolutely loved being a commander. Um, so I miss it. <laughs> I mean, I'm enjoying leave, but I do miss it. Um, you know, currently being able to you know represent you know myself and um, represent you know gay women in the army. You know, being leaders and and doing what we need to get done. Awesome. So, what about you, Matt? Um, I think that's true. What Julie said. Um, I think everyone's experience is a little bit different. Of course. Yeah. Um, but one one thing, like, 
I had gay, lesbian, and I've I've had transgender soldiers as well in since in my time in the army. And so part of that encouraged me to be open. And but one thing though, every time you PCS, it's almost as if you like have to come out again each time yeah. you join a new unit. So that's somewhat of a process and so kind of creating a climate that I would like in the initial conversations of um, just what Julie said, you know, for leaders to be open um, and empathetic and try to engage and build their team by getting to know that person. Um, Which is something think, gay or not gay you need to do. Right. Yeah, you should. You got to do. So like the Army, um, and it may have been the whole DOD, I think, but they changed wife or husband to spouse and so i mean for ashley and john for us like in public affairs we know that that has meaning because <laughs> we yeah. have to write and have to adhere to you know that form of and style of writing but i think at the unit level sometimes people don't understand how important it is to employ the term spouse yeah because you have you know non non-gender conforming spouses um so if you associate a gender to a spouse you may have someone who is married to female to male transition and like at what point or what stage are they in that process and it may create an uncomfortable climate if you're asking if it's a husband right. or if it's a wife words matter for that individual person and so if you just yeah words matter and so if you just use the term spouse cool it's great <laughs> and if you're having that first impression with someone and you use the term spouse they're much more likely to feel open right. like that it's an open environment for them to say oh sergeant i'm gay so you know like maybe i am married maybe i'm not married right. you know but it's a lot easier for for at least for me if that's the type of environment that i'm going into when someone has that openness and willingness to just use the term spouse for instance but i think at the company battery troop level most soldiers are very uh, progressive because in, you know, in the progression of all of these different milestones, um, so you also had like DOMA, you know, and so now, you know, across the country, we recognize gay marriage, which is huge. It's important. It's part of the journey yeah. for equality. But for younger generations that are enlisting, they grew up in this environment where it's accepted and it's not appropriate to be homophobic. And so what I when I typically hear like the conversations that need a little let me help you out on that. And you know <laughs> that you know you kind of have to just like if you're a bystander, you have to intervene if you're hearing some of that hate speech that could marginalize someone within the organization. So you kind of intervene and then you kind of have these types of conversations and you just remind them that not everyone is just like Ashley or just like Matt or John or Julie. And it's the diversity that makes us a lot stronger and more right. cohesive for us to have like this broad scope. But um, I guess as a commander within the unit, you feel really comfortable. I mean, that's your family. You're all supporting one another and nobody wants to cause harm to their battle buddy. A lot of the time, I think it's a lot of these like biases that go into our language that become somewhat hurtful that you overhear, you know, going across post or, you know, it's some of the jokes that people make um, referring to something as like, oh, that's gay. And 
you know, in high school, when I was in school, like you would say that, like, oh, that's so gay or whatever. Well, for a gay person, if you're saying something that's gay, if you're using that synonymously with not cool or something like that, if you're gay, then you're like, man, that's not cool. It's not cool (laughs) for you to say that I'm not cool because we are cool. We're the coolest. Some (laughs) of us are great at giving you fashion tips and some of us aren't. But, but, you know, um, it's stuff like that, you know, but for the most part, I mean, being a commander was great. And I think that being a gay commander gave a lot of value and additional perspective. You know, we were integrating women into the CAV troops at the time. And so like we had new CAV scouts and they were women. <laughs> um, base branch, I'm logistics. So like, you know, the the fellow troop commanders, they'd come to me and they're like, Matt, you worked with women. What's it like? Like, you know, just some of those, those conversations where, you know, you can be a little bit more in tune with the formation if yeah. you've experienced some of these uh, marginalized communities yourself where, you know, it was helpful, I guess. Sure. Now, John, is the 40th pad your first unit? Yes. So how has that been for you coming and you have Captain Visser here, Matt, um, as your commander? I'm sure that had to be pretty awesome for you. So um, I have been at the pad for my uh, full three years. So I've had uh, two other commanders as well. Sorry, I totally assumed there <laughs> um i had uh, lieutenant vidal and captain o'reilly they were both super accepting super like they right off the bat were like okay you're just like everybody else you're part of the family right. welcome like you're going to be a part of this team like no one's yeah. going to treat you any different and if you have issues with anybody like we'll take care of it Let and we'll know. make sure that you feel comfortable and you feel safe and i uh captain Visser, that's how I refer to him because, you know, he's my commander. Uh, Matt, he uh, has definitely been the same way. We have gotten new soldiers and he's been welcoming and made sure that everyone feels comfortable, you know, being who they are, that no one has to, you know, hide who they are, pretend to be something that they're not. Um, It's definitely been an amazing experience because I've worked with uh, all different types of commanders and different types of, like, people in the military and just seen a lot. Um, My unit being one that is so open-minded and so like connected as a whole is definitely really nice. Oh, I'm sure. So speaking of your unit being open, um, I hear you do drag. Yes. (laughs) That's awesome. So how did you get into drag and tell me all about this? So my, whenever I was a young uh, gay man uh, (laughs) starting out, I freshly come out to my brother who is also gay and he, the first thing he said to me whenever I told my brother that he was gay, he said, okay, I already knew that. Um, I was just waiting for you to be comfortable to tell me. He said, I have so much to show you, so much Aww. to talk about. And um, he had recently been like uh, watching a bunch of drag queens on YouTube because this was kind of in the time frame where YouTube was like probably the most popular. Like everyone was on there and posting all different types of things. And we both really got into drag and at the age that we were at, it wouldn't be appropriate for us to go to a bar or something like that to see a drag queen. But there are uh, other different types of resources, like they have uh, reading with drag queen or like um, drag queens teach you how to do your makeup and stuff like that, like more uh, age appropriate stuff. <laughs> and we took as many opportunities as we could to uh, interact with drag queens and uh, learn about this whole different society. And um, as we grew older, we both kind of grew into it and he also does drag Um, we grew together and uh, have been this kind of like our 
second family from our original family because yeah. we have our blood relatives and then uh, me and my brother are drag queens and we also have friends that do drag so we have that second family nice. um it kind of just felt natural <laughs> it was something that came second hand all right so i feel like there's probably a lot of stereotypes that go with drag queens so i just want you to address what's one of the biggest ones that you've heard and can you address it so um whenever i get out of drag People, I used to have, okay, so I shaved my eyebrows so that it'd be easier to do my makeup and mm -hmm. stuff. I used to have really big, bushy eyebrows <laughs> and I would take my makeup off and uh, like I used to cover my eyebrows with glue so that I could uh, draw my own type of eyebrows on and I'd take my makeup off and everyone would be like, you look like a guy and you act <laughs> like a guy. And I was like, well, I am a guy. Um, just because I uh, have this side of me that uh, performs in a female presenting character, it doesn't mean that I'm any less of a guy than anybody else yeah. so and I feel like that's probably one thing I feel like there's probably a lot of unknowns about drag queens that people just are ignorant to and just don't know because it's like well I'm just not into that so I'm not even going to explore what any of that has to do with anything um so that's really cool that you're so open about it though I love it <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome so we've talked if you haven't seen it I mean this is really for all the listeners but if you have not experienced drag brunch you haven't lived you know, take some time if you're heterosexual, whatever, <laughs> go to a drag brunch and just enjoy yourself. They are so entertaining. It is so much fun. And so, you're going to have a great time with whoever you take with you. I so have not been to one. I almost went to one um, with a bunch of friends in Kansas City. I just didn't make it there. So now I'm really disappointed that I didn't do it. <laughs> Kansas City drag is some of the best drag. There's a lot of really uh, good performers there. There was some Definitely brunch there. So I don't know. I didn't make it, though. It's if gonna... you get another well, it's never too late. It's never too late. Bucket list item. <laughs> All right. So we've talked a lot about your experiences, um, but I'm going to have one more question, or maybe it's a myth that we're going to bust, and it's military members of the LGBT community are not accepted by their, their peers. Thoughts? John? I'll uh, step in. <laughs> uh, I know I was just uh, talking, but um, the experiences that I've had personally have been like nothing less of amazing with uh, people in the military from like, I've worked with uh, three star generals all the way down to fuzzy privates. <laughs> and in between I've had little to no like hate or um, just closed mindedness. I think the only times that I've ever really received it is honestly from the civilian side. It wasn't even military people. Um, but all the people that I've worked with have been uh, extremely open-minded and um, my coworkers have been nothing short of supportive. They all know my drag persona and even <laughs> some of them have come out and like seen me in drag and um, I've felt like uh, another person in the family, like another piece to the puzzle because awesome. um, all my coworkers just, it was without hesitation when I told them yeah. like, Hey, I'm gay and I do drag. Everyone's like, "Well, that's so cool. Can we see pictures?" Like all this <laughs> stuff like it was just uh, a great experience. I know it like everyone uh I've had those moments where it's like, "Oh, I feel different." You know, like I kind of feel secluded. It wasn't really, you know, I'm kind of on my own, but then like I would just go and talk to someone like in the unit or just uh like one of my close friends and they'd be like, "Have you talked to anybody about this? Have you said anything?" <laughs> And uh, I could just start up a casual conversation and then everyone's like, what? 
<laughs> no, you're just you're a Simpson. That's I've had a lot of people say that referring like if I ever say that I feel disconnected or something, they'll be like, well, you're Simpson. Like, that's just who you are. It's you're different, but it's good. It's awesome. John, you make me smile just watching you talk. <laughs> All right. How about Matt or Julie? So, Julie, how about you? Yeah. So with my peers, I think it's it's been great. I think my you know, I had some friends that were. I think surprised at first, you know what I mean? And then everyone kind of got over themselves and, <laughs> you know, s- still wanted to be my friend. So that's nice. I feel like I didn't lose any, any peers or any friends. Um, so, so coworkers have been great. Um, I definitely think um, there has been some stigma with just being a woman. Um, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, I, you know, I mentioned it a little bit earlier about how, you know, I think it's been it's been harder to be a woman. And I, I hate saying it like that <laughs> as well, because I don't feel like we sh- should feel like we have it any harder. Right. Um, and I remember one time I even had a, a soldier who is super chatty and very mature came into my office one time, just wanted to say, hey, we're having a conversation. And and he he goes, well, oh, ma'am. Yeah. Like, well, you already have a, a harder time because you're a woman. And I was like, well, what? Like, what makes you think that? Like, what makes you think that I'm going to have it harder? Like, I feel like I'm not like displaying I'm having a lot of issues or like I'm presenting that I'm having like this difficult time. Right. Right. Um, and so I remember that sensitivity for me. And I, I say it as a sensitivity because I'm a sensitive person. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, you know, I grew up feeling um, different and being picked on. And then when you, you know, are trying to have had a very successful career and then you go to your, like Matt has mentioned before you go to your new unit and it's like you're starting all over again right. and so you know I get in and I knew I was going to be the only female commander and so there was a lot of pressure for that and then not only being the only female commander but being in a, an organization where there's just aren't a lot of women in general mm-hmm. um I remember one of my first experiences with my initial peers was all the commanders were in a group conversation and nobody looked at me or talked to me the whole time I was in that group conversation. And I remember thinking about how uncomfortable it was already because I can be uncomfortable in social situations and that's my own fault. But, (laughs) um, you know, but I, you know, I was trying to engage and trying to talk and I remember thinking, okay, well, you know, this is, I kind of anticipated this a little bit, right? Like I expected to have, you know, maybe some, some hurdles to overcome or kind of some stigmas to get over and, you know, um, and some things that I needed to figure out for myself so I could be a stronger person, you know what I mean? To overcome any insecurities I personally had so I could, you know, be a, a good peer or be a good commander or leader in general. So that kind of sticks more in my mind with any initial struggles or struggles in general that I've had um, is, has just come from not being male. And so everyone, you know, and since that kind of incident, like there's been few and far between things like that. Um, I think I my organization was great. I honestly have nothing bad to say about my leaders or um, the way that they made me feel. But um, I think that's just kind of a consideration, you know, for everybody. So you're we're talking about, you know, being different and we're talking about, you know, discrimination. And I still think it's, you know, being felt by everybody and you don't have to be you know a 
a gay woman to feel that way. You can just be a heterosexual woman. You could be a straight male. You could be um, any identifier you want and you could feel different and feel like you are potentially being discriminated against in the organization that you're in. I agree so, completely. Yeah. And so it just, oh, I don't know. I could <laughs> talk forever, I feel like. <laughs> but uh, no, I just um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah. So as we talk, I'm more things are coming up in my head. And I wonder, I think, and we've talked about this a little bit, it's hard to have conversations like this. And it's hard to be vulnerable. And it's hard to ask tough questions. What advice would you give somebody, somebody like me, who, you know, say I know somebody is gay or a lesbian, but I just don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing, or I don't want to come off as insensitive what advice do you give to somebody how how do we talk to what can we do <laughs> i hope that makes sense um one thing that i would do uh in situations like that whenever i know someone is like struggling with something like i try and be as open for like other people as yeah. much as i hope someone would be for me um if i know that someone has something that they're working through or something that they're you know, like discovering about themselves. Like whenever I first came out as gay, like it was a whole different process because I was like, I, I wasn't expecting this. I thought that I was just going to be, you know, normal as, <laughs> you know, it's displayed. But like now that I've had those people that are like, showed me that, you know, it's okay and it's normal to be gay. Um, the best thing, uh, I remember someone coming up to me and being like, hey, I want to know more about you. So let's create a little safe space and you can just tell me some like facts about yourself, you know? Tell me some things that make you different, that make you special, and things that you're really proud of. And just like not initiating any specific questions, right. being like, hey, I heard that you're gay, you know, because that can like sometimes seem a little aggressive. But like, <laughs> right. there are, uh, like, if, if someone came up to me and said that, I'd be like, yes, I am. And <laughs> I would go on. But I know it's different for everybody else. Sure. So just like create uh, initializing that safe space by saying, hey, this is a safe space. Can you tell me some facts about yourself? That's one way that I've yeah. learned to do. And, and Ashley, I would chime in and say, probably say exactly what you said when you introduced this question. Say, hey, I don't know a lot about this topic. I, I, res I have a lot of respect for people who openly say, I don't know. Yeah. Can you educate me or, you know, just ask questions like I feel like that is harmless or just say, you know, hey, I don't know about this is OK if we talk about it because right. I've certainly brought that up to, you know, my soldiers in situations and sometimes they don't want to talk about things and that's OK, too. But at least yeah. you're you're offering that you want to be more open to understand or ask questions like that's just the first step. Yeah. Anything to add, Matt? I think asking questions is a great way to just to demonstrate that you care about that person. Yeah. So we're all human first, and this story for each individual soldier is their story to tell. So if you just ask questions and be engaged, as we all should be, and we know that we should be, you know, day-to-day -day professionally and in our personal lives to stay engaged, then I think you'll find that you can nourish those people and create a inclusive space pretty rapidly by showing them that you care. Yeah. And so in our previous conversation with Chaplain Ammons, who is a transgender woman serving active duty, who was our first part of our Pride Month um, conversation, we talked a lot about like, why does what I do affect you so much? What? Why do we care if she's a transgender woman? Why does society have such a big issue with that? Um, so I just think that having these conversations and educating people and 
you are no different than anybody else. I mean, we're all just humans trying to do, you know, our job, whatever it is. Um, it just doesn't really matter that much. Absolutely. All right. So, Matt, do you have something to say? Oh, I, did I come <laughs> off mute? Well, so there's a lot. There's a lot there. I'm looking forward to listening to her pod, her podcast with you as well. Um, I it, it's hard for some people who are unfamiliar with the territory to separate all of these identifiers from the service member. Yeah. And like we all enlisted and joined the same army with the intention of being the best version of ourselves and to be able to offer the organization the best version of ourselves, right. And to, to be able to do that, it's important that the organization now recognizes us and allows for us to serve as our authentic selves. It's also important that we create those spaces for others to feel welcome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're, we're service members. Like right. if I were to go back, I'd say, you know, I'm a soldier because we're all, we are all soldiers and if we can just make everyone think about all soldiers, you know, regardless of what their identifier is, like look at all of our ethnicities Black, and all of white, these other Hispanic, things that can whatever. be divisive. Yeah. You know, if we are all soldiers and I think that what bonds us is that we are an American soldier, like at the beginning of our creed, that's what we say. And um, unfortunately, sometimes people forget what binds us together and they try to tear us apart so like i'm so grateful that you have brought us in and so we can kind of demonstrate to people like, hey if you've never seen a gay person before like this is him <laughs> he's just like you i only speak from my perspective my frame and my experience i don't speak for like all gay men yeah um and i hope that the language that i've employed throughout this podcast doesn't sound as if i'm speaking for every gay man because experiences are are varied um and I don't know, you know, the trans experience. So I look forward to hearing uh, chaplain, the chaplain's uh, podcast. And so thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I actually want to give you all and maybe Matt, you just did yours, but I wanted to give you all an opportunity to just say one final thing, one final thought about this conversation and keeping conversations like this going. John, do you want to go first? Uh, uh, one thing that I'd say, uh, as he just said, everybody's experience is different and you never know exactly what's going on in someone's life because you could be going down like similar paths with, uh, similar like identifiers, but one person's background is completely different than the yeah. others. So you can never fully like expect someone to react the same way as someone else. And, uh, the best thing you can do is just be patient, be kind, and be willing to learn, and just do what you can to do your part. I think that's such I a great message. Be kind. I think we all could do that a little bit more. So what about you, Julie? Any any final thoughts? Um, they speak so well. Um, <laughs> no, what I have to say is just that for anyone who is listening and who maybe feels different or going through a hard time or maybe hasn't had the best experience. Like I just want them to know that it's not always going to be that way. Um, you know, hopefully you can see the forward picture that the army is moving towards and, and being adaptive and being accepting and that you can learn from the experiences of some of your negative experiences. Um, Cause unfortunately people aren't perfect. Um, no one has the same experiences. And so hopefully, you know, if your experience is bad, you're you're giving something back to them and you're also learning for yourself so that we can all be better for the future. So um, and then um, I'm so glad we got to speak and talk today. Um, I think it's an important step forward and I'm just I'm happy to be here. Thank you. What about you, Matt? 
I'll give you another go. Goodness. Okay. <laughs> so there's one thing that I wanted to mention, and that was um, around summer of 2020, um, the the Black Lives Matter movement started to take a little bit more pace for, you know, a similar conversation, but for representation of Black people in America. Um, in response to that, what the DOD ultimately decided um, when Secretary Esper was the Secretary of Defense was to issue a memo of the symbols that are to be accepted, to be flown on uh, federal installations. And so it is a list of all the flags that can be flown. And the intention behind that was to remove Confederate flags right. from federal installations. That was the intention. But the way it was constructed was to list all of the flags that can be flown. And so flags representing like Alabama, for instance, like Roll Tide, um, those pictures, those iconic pictures of people being bound by their background before with whatever school they went to, you know, whatever state they're from, a state flag, the state flag is still authorized to be flown. The school flag is not authorized to be flown. But one of the flags that also wasn't authorized to be flown was the rainbow flag that had previously, you know, flown um, at the White House. It's flown right. over embassies abroad. And now, based off of that memo, the flag can't be flown on a federal installation. And what it's led to was uh, loose prosecution. I mean, that would be under UCMJ if you know you have that. Um, if you see it, you know, on in certain spaces on a federal installation, you see the rainbow flag. You know, you could prosecute against that, but prosecute it in the same way that you would a Confederate flag. So I think maybe we could um, look at some of these policies that weren't intended to further segregate peoples within the organization, they were intended to be inclusive. That memo was intended to be inclusive. Right. But there are you know, areas by the way that it was constructed that further marginalize uh, peoples within the organization. So I think that could be you know, one takeaway, something that we could work on. I mean, we're here yeah. on Forcecom, there's very powerful people, General <laughs> Garrett. Maybe it's something that you know, he could have a conversation um, during June for Pride Month yeah. to to change the language on that memo yeah. um, with the secretary so that we could have a rainbow flag on an installation again. But ultimately, think I, I mean, I've already thanked you. We can all be better yeah. engaged public servants, regardless of what space we're in. There is much for me to learn personally and um, I appreciate being able to have the crucial conversation with everyone on this line. I respect all of you so much. And I, you know, I respect the listeners and I hope to listen to their stories as well. I think all of us in this space do. Yeah. Everybody has a story and uh, your narrative is your own, but I hope that you feel empowered to share it with us and be your authentic self. Well, that wraps up this episode. I hope that through this open conversation, we were able to shed some light on the importance of understanding and knowing the people around you. But I also hope that my conversations spark your own conversations. It's so easy to write something or someone off when you don't understand it or them. But like you heard from our guest today, taking the time just to ask questions and learn more can really go a long way.
So thanks for listening, and we'll be back next month with another episode. But in the meantime, you can get all of your Forcecom news through Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next month on the front line.